Do you recognize any of these men? I was hiding in the bathroom stall, so I didn't see his face, but I heard him. He was singing along to the music at the bar. Do you remember what he was singing? I think it was that song, I Want It That Way. Backstreet Boys, I'm familiar. Okay. Number one, could you please sing the opening to I Want It That Way? Really? Okay. You are my fire. Number two, keep it going. The one desire. Number three. Believe when I say. Number four. I want it that way. Tell me why. Ain't nothing but a heartache. Tell me why. Ain't nothing but a mistake. Now number five. I never want to hear you say. I want it that way. Oh, chills. Literal chills. It was number five. Number five killed my brother. Oh my god, I forgot about that part. Hello, my name is Jay, and this is another episode of the Undead Comic Cast, the number one tribute to Comic Crypt. Um, it's quite early for me to be, uh, for me to be doing one of these. I normally... I've been wanting to do them quite consistently, but I don't know, I keep doing it like every five weeks or something weird like that, but there's a lot of stuff coming up this month. Um, we have got, we've well, we've just had Captain Marvel, we've had Shazam, um, we've got Hellboy, and then we've, of course, of course, got Infinity War, and it's, I mean, what, man, it's so amazing for, like, comics right now. To be a nerd or a geek, uh, Game of Thrones. I mean, I don't watch Game of Thrones. I'm not a throner. Um, I don't make that a part of my personality either. There is something about people going, "Well, I'm actually a person who hasn't seen Game of Thrones." All right, big deal. There's a there's a lot of stuff out there. I'd I'd totally understand if you've not seen it. I've not. You know, so what? So fucking what? You don't? You've never seen it? I've never seen. Oh, what's a film I've never seen? That I've never seen Rocky, actually. Never seen Rocky. Um, but I don't like go around telling people, I've never seen Rocky. I'm not even that bothered about it. Um, yeah. So, hello. Welcome. Welcome, everyone, to my comic cast. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different this month because there's been no news, really. I normally start off with some comic news, but I've checked. There's nothing really. No comic-based news. You could say there's been nerdy news, but that's for the Talk Nerdy podcast, which um, will be coming back at some point. It's just, it's been so busy with all these films coming out and all this stuff happening all the time that it's, it's me and Gaz are trying to find the time just to talk about all this amazing stuff that's coming out rather than just do uh, one of our kind of wayward podcasts where we talk about i don't know um the best red dwarf episode or something like that so that will be coming back at some point but i'm not sure when because we've got all this coming up and gaz goes to las vegas in like in like 10 days he's gonna be he's gonna be in vegas during infinity war which i'd be so upset if that was me because, oh yeah, okay, yeah, you're in Vegas. He's hired a car as well, which is pretty sick. Um, however, think about it. If you're in Vegas, you don't really... You know who wants to go on holiday when they're on 
Who wants to go on holiday? Who wants to go to the cinema when they're on holiday? I don't. Who the, I, I was talking about this to one of the uh, my colleagues in work. They were going to Australia. And I, and I asked them what they were doing. And then on one of their itinerary, they said, I'm going to go to the cinema. Went, why? Why, the, why on earth would you go to cinema? You've just flown halfway around the world to the other side of the world, a place where about 700 years ago, this was not even thought possible. And you're going to go there in about 24 hours. It's a 24-hour flight. And one of the things you're going to do in your finite time whilst you're there is go into a dark room with a bunch of people you don't know and stare at a screen for like two hours and see something that you can see over here. It's not like Australians get exclusive movies. They're not like getting Crocodile Dundee Avengers. You know, there's no DC Universe and the DC stands for... (laughs) Sounds for Dundee, crikey. It's it's just, why would you do that? So, yeah, Gaz is going to be in Vegas, and he's going to have to make a choice. Does he spend three hours of his Vegas holiday in a cinema, or does he enjoy Vegas but have to spend his entire time in Vegas avoiding spoilers? You know, avoiding everything, avoiding anything that comes online. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think with Infinity War... That didn't happen. There wasn't spoilers dotting about. But God knows what will happen with this one. Because I just feel like this this is gone beyond um, any of the other Marvel movies. This is so mainstream. There's like people posting and talking about this that, that probably before Infinity War weren't that bothered about Marvel. But yeah, I'd hate to be guys right now going to Vegas during Infinity War. But hey-ho. So anyway... Let's get into why we're mainly why we're meant to be here. We're going to talk about comics because that's what we do. So I'm going to talk about about five comics without spoilers that uh, really tickled my pickle uh, last month in March. And we're going to begin with I think it's very on topic uh, Shazam uh, number four. So it's by Jeff Johns. Um, I think the artist has changed now to someone called Eaglesham. Uh, it was some. Uh, what was the other artist called? So you don't come. By the way, you don't come to this podcast for like the real nitty gritty. You just come here to hear me, more or less, rant about random stuff and just have a general appreciation for certain comics. But yeah, uh, Jeff John's Shazam. Um, dead. Oh, here we go. Dale Eaglesham. There we are. Dale Eaglesham. Is the name of this guy, but I don't know the name of the guy beforehand. Um, this was a very in, well. It was like it's like Zootopia, the um, the comic, because in this issue they have well, we see the Wildlands, which it, it is. It's Zootopia. Um, I'm kind of shocked that no one's been sued because it is it is a direct rip off of Zootopia. But hey ho, whatever. Um, the Funlands gets very much more interesting. This um, this King Kid uh, becomes quite twisted. Actually, it goes really dark. Like I didn't see it going this way, which I really I'm so happy. I didn't really. I you know who likes predictability anyway, really. But um, yeah, this King Kid is like a really warped Twilight Zone version of Peter Pan, and uh, yeah, it it has got dark. And to be honest, Shazam just seems kind of useless he's he's not able to do a, a thing uh it 
against King Kidia, and the other guys have ended up in the game lands, which was reminding me of a bit of how I pictured. Um, oh, what was that film I came out last year? Uh, it's one of my favourite books as well, and I can't remember. This is the problem when I'm I put pressure on myself, too much pressure to remember the one about like being in a game. Oh, that is going to bug the crap. I'm, you know what? I'm going to Google that because there's going to be people screaming this now at the radio. And hold on. Da, 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 da. Uh, book about being in a game. I'm, it's going to kick me right in the head as soon as it says it. Oh, my God. I would have thought it would have been like the top one. Uh, uh, to, oh, God. Being a film. Maybe if I put the film. Jesus Christ. How... Google's nearly got really good at this. I once put into Google, um, um, we couldn't remember the name of the song. In fact, I can't remember the name of the song now. But if I put into Google, ba 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 ba, ah, it will tell me who it is. Watch, ba ba bup, 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 ah, song. Oh, well, it used to. You know what? I'm 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 done with Google today. So th- this is going to be a Googleless podcast because I've just tried to look up two things. It's made me look like a right asshole. So screw it. Um, yeah. Um, so a lot happened in this one, and it was all really well threaded together. I really liked the fact that we're following three different groups, and I knew what was going on. I like the uh, the little twist at the end of this episode as well, which um, gets me very excited for a num- two, numerous reasons. Number one, um, this is clearly, this run is going to be the sequel to the Shazam film. If you've not seen Shazam, I'm not going to spoil the film for you. I'm not that much of a dick. But Shazam more or less follows Jeff John's New 52 run. But this is um, uh, of the comics. This is obviously his latest run. And there is things that are hinted at in the film that are pointing to this is the route that this is going to go. So it easily could be. And also, for some reason, The Rock isn't Black Adam. Um, And I don't know why. Like, he was cast to be Black Adam. And I've still not seen a hint of when Black Adam... Is going to be in it again. I'm not really spoiling the film, um, but we there's still no confirmation of uh, Black Adam. He was again. It was there was a hint about him, but no nowhere near going. Oh, we're going to see the Rock in the next picture, which is dead disappointing. But I digress. This yeah. So this this comic has been great. It's been it's just been real fun. It is like a really warped, sick Peter Pan. Um, and it, I do get this weird feeling when I'm reading it that this is what comics were like back in the day, like in the 60s and the 70s. There's no, it's, there's no dark and no gritty to it. I'm just, it's so beyond silly and all about magic that it's, it's like an Enid Blyton book. That's the best way I can put it. It's like an Enid Blyton book, and it is making me feel a bit childlike reading it. But yeah, pick up Shazam. Really enjoyed that. Um, in fact, there's oh, sirens. Um, that on my last podcast was very Marvel heavy. I I think you'll find this month and 
not really going to talk about Marvel at all because well, they were. It's not like they released anything bad. It's just that this everything I'm going to talk about was better. So Naomi, um, which is DC Universe Wonder Comics, Naomi uh, issue three. I read the first one and I liked it a lot. And then I was speaking to Chris on Chris's Comics podcast, which you can go listen to the latest episode, uh, Chris's, uh, Chris's Podcast.com, um, where I'm on it, and he talks to me about Naomi and then informs me that actually there's been a second one come out um, and a third one coming out. And I had completely forgotten, and I looked around, I hadn't, couldn't find a number two anywhere, Um Calm down, Chris. I know Chris will probably be giggling like a schoolgirl at that sentence. And I ended up just having, right there on the podcast, I just got my phone out and bought bought issue two. And then I ran out and got issue three as soon as I went to the comic store again. And, yeah, I'm kind of slightly obsessed with this comic now. The, the uh, it's, Bendis is right. It's really dripping the story out very finitely. But brilliantly so like again that when i talk about not being able to predict anything i i just don't know where this is going this is going as soon as i begin to think i I do it takes a turn kind of like um the good place if you've ever watched the tv show netflix the good place that first season at the end of every episode you think you know where the next episode's going to go, and then you kind of think you know what the tone of the season is. So at the, the way the first episode begins, you think it's all about a person exploring a new life, but the twist at the end of the episode, not ruining it for you, because it's the entire concept, I suppose, of the of the TV show, is this, the main character reveals that they're not meant to be in the good place, in heaven, and there's been a mix-up, and they've got a lie now to everyone around them. And then you think that's going to be Every episode is going to be, oh, like this um, Frasier kind of Greek tragedy, the way it's played out. Like, oh, there's been such a mix-up, um, and this lies get me deeper and deeper. But actually, at the end of the second episode, they almost sort that again, and it goes in another direction, and then another, and another. And that's what ne- um, Naomi's like at the moment. At the end of each one, I'm pretty certain I know where it's going to go. But then the next issue starts, and I'm wrong. I'm really wrong. Um the art in this is incredible. It's it's somewhere. Who is it? Jamal, Jamal Campbell. Um, he does all of it. The is he the colorer as well? Yeah, I'm getting the impression. Oh, it's David F. Walker is working with Bendis as well. So to give a credit where credit's due, but. There's something about the way it's all coloured out. It makes me feel like I'm watching like an epic Disney movie. Um, I think that's what the only way I can put it. The panelling is really superb as well. It just it leads you along very very nicely, and uh, I just I just like looking at every like every panel again and again and again. Every, all the drawing there isn't like one bad drawing in the entire book like i've even said to chris on I, uh, numerous times i always go oh, but look you can see that why would they not have drawn that again his eyes are skew with or i get that there's time limitations and budgets but i feel like there's a certain degree of care has gone into literally every 
moment of this book every page and it's just absolutely great naomi is a fantastic character very brave um very brave to just put this character that so far has no superpowers in their own lead book on dc comics and she's really interesting and it, it's it's different that's the thing it's different uh, i think this is where marvel have gone wrong i think they tried to force it with um i've heard people talk about iron heart and i'm trying to think of any others see kamala khan felt very organic whereas people say iron heart didn't feel that organic naomi feels extremely organic this feels like oh i had a really good idea for a character let's do it not we need to kind of fill this tick this box we need to find something that ticks this box let's create something to tick this box this is just a good story that they've come up with and i've really been enjoying it and you should too so wonder comics naomi amazing pick that up um now i got to go for something completely different um oh actually just on the on the basis of what i'm about to talk about farmhand issue six and Naomi especially, there is something about, and it, it's it's something that is in everything to do with comics and superheroes, but parents, what is it about comics and parents? Why why is, why is this, not, this not skitted more? It's such a, every, every superhero has like no parents. If I go through them, like now, Batman, no parents. Superman, parents died on Krypton. And I think uh, the stepdad dies, doesn't he? Uh, the one of the adoptive dad. His guardian dies. Um, Spider-Man, parents dead. Uncle Ben's dead. Uh, Thor. Thor's a bit different, isn't he? Although in the films, his mum and dad are dead. In the comics, I don't know so much. But he's maybe an exception to the rule because he's got... Oh, there you go, Loki. Loki adopted and his parents are ice giants who are dead. Um... I'm going through. I'm going to go through all the Avengers now. That's what seems to be the easiest thing to do. Uh, Banner, in the comics, his dad, mum, and dad are dead, and the dad was a massive asshole. Um, uh, Black Widow, a stolen ba baby in Russia, bred as a spy, so no parents. Hawkeye, actually nice guy. I, I don't think I've ever heard anything about Hawkeye's parents, but again, maybe an exception to the rule. But there you go, Naomi. Doesn't know who her parents are. That's mo that's a story trying to find out. Shazam, who I've just spoken about, uh, adopted, um, and parents are, um, are assholes essentially. Farmhand, I'm about to begin talking. What is it with parents in comics? They just die, or they? It, it is it, the common thing is they die. That's what that's what causes it, it to happen. I was a normal person, or I was a person with powers, and then someone, my mum or dad, dies, and then I, that's that's my entire that's my personality now. That's who I am. I just feel like there's more original ways to do things, and I, but I'm I am in shock that no one has come out and criticised this, especially now as it's going into mainstream media. That if you're gonna say there's something samey about superheroes and superhero films it's not the capes it's not the costumes it's not the tones or the powers um of the heroes it's it is the parents i just feel like there's a gap that needs that there's a gap that needs filling just how about a a superhero who has both his parents and is totally happy and just wants to go out there and do a really kick-ass job 
you know, uh, you think about, I'm trying to think of happy superheroes, but Flash, his parents are dead. Um, oh, what's the, what's that dude? Um, what's that guy who's from the future? He's really big in Heroes in Crisis right now. Uh, Booster Gold, um, he's from the future, so he can't see his parents. So I assume they're dead, or there was a reason he ran away from them. Um, Star Lord, he's quite a happy kind of, in a kind of Jack Sparrow drunk way kind of guy. Yep, his parents are either assholes or dead. It depends what run you read. But yeah, can we not come up with just a, a superhero who has both his parents, is a really tight family, and just, you know. <laughs> just is dead happy and doesn't have all these horrible issues and maybe that's too boring I don't know but I just think it is odd that no one no one criticises that about superhero films you can, I mean you can literally go through the MCU as the films went on and like you know Tony Stark parents are dicks and da- no, that they die that's it dad's a dick and then they die uh, Cap Cap just outlives his parents doesn't he or is it I have a feeling he's not adopted, but doesn't does it? I don't know. There was something about his mum, something about his mum putting newspapers in his shoes. I don't know some shite, but I digress. Yeah, can we do something a bit different? And with that, I'm going to talk about Farmhand Number Six, uh, which is out on Image Comics. Uh, it's a brand new run. They finished on five, took a little break as uh, Rob Gilroy the writer um is he the writer and the artist as well i've got this weird uh, yeah he's the writer and the artist uh, he says in the back that he just needs a bit more time on each one uh, there you go i know it's been a while since our last installment but trust me it's for the best late books are the worst so taking off for short hiatuses between story arcs is the best way to ensure this weird little book keeps coming out on time consistency is king and the man is consistent. I, I, again, he's put every release that's coming up, the next five issues, on the back with dates. So April 17th, number 7 comes out. May 15th, number 8. June 19th, number 9. Finishing on July 24th with number 10. I love that organisation. And I love this book. Um, we catch up with the family who are... Just well, we catch up first with the the town that they live in, which I actually can never remember the name of, which is going through political upheaval as people are not enjoying um, the what they're famous for now, which is these genetically modified plants that can be used as you know body parts on people and to help people medically, as there's been quite a few incidents recently. Um, Zeke, our main man, who it's his dad causing all of this, decides to to go on a family getaway with him, his dad, his son, and his son's best mate. And even though there's, like, that's the kind of, like, the comedy of errors that's going on there because there's obviously a secret uh, secret dispute between the granddad and his son's friend, and then there is a dispute between Zeke and his granddad and his dad, and it was just as enthralling and kind of, like, What's the word? There's a kind of horror I would describe for it. It's kind of like um Oh. Oh, what isn't it? You know what? I used to sing a song about it for God's sake. My brain is gone. My brain is gone. I've got like spring brain. All the nice weather comes out and all I'm thinking about is going outside and I can't think of 
basic stuff like a song i sang for like fucking six years straight and the name of the song is class of newcomb high class of newcomb high that kind of kind of weird silly horror uh but still like gruesome and gory green horror that's what this book is seriously like um rob gilroy does a fantastic job in drawing everything and like oh his script's good he knows his characters he's he can make good jokes it, it, if you're not already reading this you should go and pick up the first run and then get on this farmhand um really a tale about a man and his dad trying to make it work but at the same time there's this, this total planned horror mutant kind of mini apocalypse happening in this one town it's fucking great i love it yeah farmhand number six um let's have a look at oh here we go doomsday clock going back to dc unlike the other comics where i feel like every time they break like immortal hulk spider-man um there was batman for a while the uh kings of oh my god why can i not remember a fucking thing you would think i was like i just woke up out of a coma and i'm just piecing my life together um that last batman run by um kelly jones and the other guy um whatever whatever that one i felt like every time one of them issues came out i spoke about it and it was a bit repetitive but it needed to be done doomsday clock is like that except I don't feel repetitive because God knows how long this is going to go on for. Because this is number 9 of 12 and I feel like I've been reading this for 4 years. It's still The Watchmen Part 2 essentially, just with the way it's laid out the panelling, the drawing. Um, there is a really l- amazing moment in here. Let me have a look. From, after the, from page 2 onwards where it just says Crisis and then all we see or a load of ships leaving planet Earth, and then a panel after panel after panel of who's in each of these ships. You got all the Hawkeyes, uh, the Green Lanterns, a real mix of characters. Another one looks like a kind of Justice League, but minor Superman and Batman. Uh, all the Superman heroes, the Dark Justice uh, Justice League Dark. There's oh, so much the Bat Family again, minus Batman. All heading out. Uh, somewhere which obviously does get revealed in the comic but this was this was worth the the thing is that even though this feels like it takes ages for one of these to come out they are so worth the wait they do not disappoint even even like they could like not release another one for six months it's not like i'm gonna pick it up and go i waited six months for this it's gold they've got gold and i still don't know how it's going to end you can hear me flickering through the pages i just like looking at it taking it in dr manhattan's really showing himself now and he's fulfilling every dc fanboy theory that he will you know he could take on anyone um not that i approve of fanboys in any way like especially dc fanboys i've talked about it before but oh god they've been annoying me online just posting like I feel like hypocritical but I remember I said something like why can't they post positive stuff because Marvel sites just post positive stuff whereas DC sites post negative stuff about Marvel Um, 
but even when they post positive stuff, it seems so arbitrary and the wrong thing. Like here, uh, like recently, one of them put up here's all the pictures of all the premieres of each DC solo movie. How look how great all the guys look. I thought, oh, oh, all right, is is that is that interesting? Is that actually something to look at? Marvel, you know. Ones post like theories and funny memes and uh, stuff about the comics and you know news and wouldn't this be good? Whereas DC, that was another one they posted. Someone posted like what would um, technically the, uh, the the first five DC films made more than the first Marvel films. So you could say DC is doing much better than Marvel, and we're just being. Uh, the media don't want people to know. That's the other thing. There seems to be this weird conspiracy, man, like that Marvel have paid everyone, which I, I'm not denying the degree of marketing and, you know, silver being placed in the hands of certain people with ties, but it, they are making out like it's full-on conspiracy, like Donald Trump, Russia sort of stuff. Like, we're talking... Marvel are paying off people to totally snub DC and DC are actually really amazing films and artists and we've all been brainwashed into it. It's like, it's absolutely obscene. I got in an argument with some guy. Well, I don't want to say got in an argument because that's like one of the saddest things on the internet. It's getting an argument with a guy on the internet. It's about as sad as the, the, the lowest low is getting into an argument in YouTube comments. But... I got into some like real bad argument with a guy. I was really polite about it as well. Who, who was just trying to tell, trying to tell us all that um, D, uh, Marvel completely copied DC's plan with everything. So Civil War, Infinity War, that was actually Zack Snyder's idea with Batman v Superman, and then just how Justice League was meant to pan out and go into uh, Dark Side's War or whatever. But not remotely taking into account timelines, um, how films are made, like scripts and screenplays. Like he's just counting, like oh, technically, because this happened a month before this. But they're not even thinking that there would have been a screenplay for this months, months before any filming was done or production. Um, he was, uh, and also forgetting that it's almost like people forget that Marvel and DC are comics. And they have years, and year, which I'm going to talk about something in a bit, which shows years and years. But they've they've been doing it for years, so they've got all the information, they've got all the the storylines to go back on. So civil, they didn't steal Civil War from Batman v Superman. They took Civil War from the actual, you know, intellectual property that is Civil War that they have and they came up with and they released. It's ridiculous. And, yeah, it's just fanboys are horrible. Marvel fanboys can be horrible. Star Wars fanboys are toxic. Um, but, yeah, just don't be a fanboy. Like, like something. Love something. Love, be, you know, really have a love for something. Be a true head. But don't ever tr refer to yourself or get involved with, like, fucking fanboys because they are, like, up there with some of the most toxic people I've ever had to deal with. Um, but, yeah, Doomsday Clock. Fucking brilliant. Pick that up. And finally, Daredevil, uh, number three, by Chip Zdarsky. Um, and, buddy, he doesn't put his full name in it, does he? No. 
Chichetto and Go. I don't know how to pronounce that name. But yeah, Chip Zdarsky, he's been writing Daredevil. I think I talked about this last time. There we go. Can I actually get a... Marco, we'll call you Marco. The artist is called Marco Chichetto, and I can't pronounce it, Chichetto. So Chip's, Chip and Marco have been writing a stellar run of Daredevil. Like, I think it, I think it could be, become a classic because the artwork and the story is so grim and gritty. It's straight up. It's the most Daredevil comic I've read in a while. I feel like... I don't need another season of the Daredevil TV series if this keeps banging out issues as quality as this. I am deeply engrossed in the story and in the in the midst of it, there's a really cool f- fist fight scene, which you know, people think we read comic books and superhero books before to watch men f- and women fly and do impossible things like throw cars and leap over tall buildings and shoot lasers from their eyes but this there's another reason we like some superheroes and Daredevil is one of my favourites and I just love the fact that he's just, I mean, he gets his ass handed to him as well on a, uh, on a police car but it was enthralling and I was with him every step of the way the only thing I, I wasn't sure about this was how it ended um, because I kind of predicted it but I don't know if it's that one of the predictions where if it hadn't gone that way, I would have been disappointed. Like, it seems, maybe I predicted it because if uh, this feels like the most organic, fluid way for the comic to go with this other character to appear. Um, but I I am enjoying this, and I, I do hope it keeps continuing. I don't want Chip Zdarsky to stop writing this. If, if, if he's got this and more up his sleeve, he's writing... He, if, the only time I'd want him to stop is if they announce a new series of Daredevil and they get him on as a screenwriter because Jesus Christ this is amazing Daredevil number three fucking great um, I did want to just give some shout outs because I know there was a lot of other comics but Guardians of the Galaxy issue three stellar stellar work loving that guys um, Prodigy by Mark Millar I just don't feel like anyone's talking about this um, again I'll just be qu- I'll just be dead quick read it just read it for the the artwork is amazing um the storyline and the character are dead likable and it's a proper it's like a superhero sherlock holmes i suppose just give give it a fucking good read and then uh spider-man life story one uh the 60s what did take me back i got a little like my mom said before a little shazam feel of feeling like a kid reading an ena blight and i got transported back to is this what it was like reading a comic in the 60s it was it it was really nice to have that feeling but give that a read all these other comics i would say were better than the then um but not to knock what i've just mentioned total honorable mentions uh, to prodigy going into the galaxy number three and spider-man life story number one the 60s so we're going to talk for the final bit about the big thing that happened detective comics 1000 so i normally read my like say what trade i want to do trade in a month but i can't always guarantee the trade i'm going to read is going to be good as in like green lantern year one last month so this came out and it's as thick as a trade so i'm going to make this the trade that i talk about so detective comics number 1000 i'm not no spoilers do not worry but we're going to go 
into each one of these separately. So I hope you've read it. Um, I'm going to rate each story. So the first story we got was Batman's Longest Case by Scott Snyder uh, and Greg Capullo. Capullo? <laughs> Capullo. Um, it was nice to see these guys team up again, although I was kind of taken a little a bit aback by the very, very, very first page of, Det- of Detective Comics 1000. And I just felt like Batman's eyes were just in the wrong place, or his face was slightly too long. Greg Pulo has got this weird thing where sometimes he can draw and sometimes he can't. And I don't think anyone has the balls to tell him like this. Because in some some of the issues, I was buying it when these two were doing a run on Batman um, in New 52 Days, is it? I was picking that up issue by issue and it was great. But you would get the odd issue and I, it would look like it, it was drawn like while his eyes were shut. That's by the by. It was it is just seems to be that one panel. Um this longest case one was typical like Snyder to me. Like in just more or less trying to say like I am a, I've been writing Batman longer than well, I've been writing about the Batman's timeline deeper than anyone. I'm gonna go to his longest, his biggest case. Um the one that's been going on the longest because I am Batman from A to Z claims uh Zack Snyder, Zack Snyder, Scott Snyder. Um, it was an alright one. I had no problem with it. Um, and it, had a, it was a very nice short story. And I, sometimes Batman does work in short stories, and I think that's why they did this. And yeah, I did. I did enjoy that a lot. Um, very easy on the eyes. I would give that one a. It was like a four out of five. Totally harmless. Um, the next one was called now this is where it got confusing for me because they just some people like to put the title of the comic at the end and others at the beginning so uh, Scott put his at the beginning and Kevin Smith and Jim Lee put theirs at the end so this was called Manufactured for Use uh, I had an inkling what this was going to be about from I think the second scene in here the second fight we see him in where things are being bashed off of uh, his chest um, this was a great this was a really great run. I mean, Kevin Smith is... When he gets it right, he gets it damn right. I'm not going to say Kevin Smith is God and perfect because he has done some real trash in his lifetime. But um, he really wrote... He, I like the fact he brought back Matches Malone. He managed to include nearly every character and go through Batman's timeline using these characters. A um, little bit of a fuck you to Scott Snyder there to say, like, well, if you, I'm going to write about the entirety of Batman's timeline as well. Um, he also kind of put to, I don't know what you would say, put uh, not an end, but closed, like, one thing in Batman's life of the gun that killed his parents. I really liked how they just closed the door on that once and for all. Um because it does make sense Batman would do something about that. And uh, yeah, I just really thought it was heartwarming. Uh five out of five. Kevin Smith and Jim Lee, well done. Um now the next one. I could see it coming from a mile away. What was this one? It does it doesn't even have an hold on. Does it have a does it have a oh yeah, The Legend of Newt Brody or Knut Brody, um by Paul Dini. Uh, and Dustin Nguyen. Uh Paul Dini hasn't been doing his greatest work recently, as uh, Chris pointed out that he created Harley Quinn, and then he's gone back, to, he went and wrote some issues of Harley Quinn, and 
I think Chris said they were horrible. They were terrible. And this isn't horrible or terrible. It's just very predictable. He's gone for a very Batman the Animated Series vibe, which, as is Paul Dini uh, and his way, um, in the way of the storyline, the way it's told. I could have seen this being an episode, episode to be honest. Um, but it's, yeah, it was very predictable, and Batman wasn't even really in it. So, and it almost made out like that Batman's not as good as he is as well. For me, it took away from Batman. It kind of made out that, okay, he had to have other people, but I don't know. It it it, mm, it seemed like how a chi- how you would tell a child's version of Batman. I wasn't keen on it. It was a three out of five. So the next one was The Batman's Design by Warren Ellis with Becky Cloonan uh, on the art. I especially liked this. This was what was needed after the Paul Dini story. This reminded me of, you know, in Batman v Superman, that that uh, warehouse scene with Batman. It was like that. This this well, it is. It's in a warehouse, and it's there's a lot of violence going on here. A lot of explosions. The art by Becky reminded me a bit of Batman um, Year One, in how it was done. But there's a lot of violence in this. Um, a lot of Batman really pushing the boundaries of uh, what he his limits are by not killing people, but still doing some pretty f- fucked up things to people. And then I liked how it culminates with him just ne- really not in the end having to rely on anything other than no, not violence or anger, but just the pure fear of the Batman. So this was to me. One of the truest Batman stories in this book. I really liked it. Warren Ellis is a star. He's a gem. Um, Yeah, five out of five on that one. Uh, Return to Crime Alley by Denny O'Neill and Steve Epting. Um, It's not that I didn't like this one. In fact, I really liked the art, by the way. Hold on, who did I say did the art? Because it, it was the art in this needs a special... The art gets a five out of five on its own. Steve Epting... The art is beautiful, along with the panelling um, and everything about it. Absolutely, like you could frame some of the, um, some of these pages because of the effect, and the they mean so much um, about the Batman law. Um, the only reason I wasn't really, I was fine with it until you realise um, when she's shouting Bruce no, and in the context of her shouting that. Um, I don't think the character would have shouted that because it would totally give away Batman's identity because there's people around, so that kind of ruined it for me. I mean, if they were all unconscious as well, but the the whole point is they're not. One of them isn't. So, I don't know. That was that was the one thing that ruined it was the dialogue, the fact that this, someone shouts Bruce instead of Batman and there's people around. I'm just, I wouldn't have that. For, not for that. Love, brilliant story again. A uh, very street-level Batman, which I like. Four out of five. Now, this one, I'm really confused as to what this one... There we are, Heretic, that's what it's called. Because there was a lot of titles going on in this one as it went along, but I think it's maybe just like the titles of kind of the scene. So this is by Christopher Priest with Neil Adams drawing. Neil Adams draws, like, a really good first draft drawer. Like, this is how I would imagine... Greg Capullo draws his to give Snyder an idea of what 
you know, is this what you want? Because if it is, I'll 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 just define this more. Not taken away from Christopher Priest at all, because I've just kind of, like, slated Capullo a bit. But it's it works, though. That's what I mean. It is very high-end first draft uh, drawings. Kind of, I'm kind of like, I 80s or early 90s, maybe. Um, the story was, like, okay. I kind of didn't really get it, though. Like how it ends I didn't really get it. I know it was to get to do the whole thing was to do with believe Ra's al Ghul because people forget about that that's a big part of Batman lore is the whole Ra's al Ghul thing but it, it just nothing happens in this Consider, you know you get the chance to write Batman Detective Comics issue 1000 write a short story and you don't have Batman really do anything in this at all um Really didn't like it. Other the drawing was good. I mean, bringing Raz was good, but two out of five. Yeah, just what a waste! What a waste of of, of an opportunity. Um, now this one. Um, does this one have a title? Because here it goes. I know. Oh yeah, by Brian Michael Bendis and uh, Alex Maleev. Jesus wept. This was everything I well, I didn't realise I wanted this but this goes the other end so Fatalis has the Penguin in which is totally underused still very much underused I really want a Penguin Batman movie again I don't know why the Penguin's not used more fantastic character What one of the reasons I was watching Gotham for a bit I need to get back on that it was the Penguin um, I like how it goes to almost like a Bat -Bat Batman Beyond state of mind where you know Bruce is very old now as is the penguin um, and it hints at all sorts of the spectrum like you can there's like a bit where you can kind of see the uh, his little penguins with rockets strapped to him um, there's talks of like how the penguin was very different it's it, it, this is this is more like how the Batman animated series was where you focus on the villain and have Batman in the back in the background which who was the one who I said tried that was um it was it was Deanie won it Deanie did it in too much of a, a a funny kind of like jokey way this was much more serious and more pertaining to Batman rather than being just about the villains this is how the villains are focused on Batman and in this case finding out his identity in Bruce Wayne and. I, I love it. I, I love it. It shows, it's, it shows another side of everyone's like the Joker and Batman being like, I need you and you need me. You know, what does an unstoppable force do when it meets an immovable object? But sure, all of Batman's villains were like that. They all need the Batman and he. The, it's a catalyst that they have. And, oh God, I, I, I love the drawing of the Penguin in this as well. I'm sorry, I've sound like I'm. By the way, uh, these next few odd minutes of me talking about this Detective One Thousand is going to be a lot of me gushing. So if you don't like that, fuck you. But uh and um, yeah, I I loved everything about it. The art, the the paneling, the story, all of it. Five out of five, perfect, absolutely perfect. Um, the Last Crime in Gotham by Jeff Johns and Kelly Jones might just be the one story that nearly made me cry because the way it's set up i you, you can it's the, it's this brilliant first page this first page and these panels are just like a seed and you forget about them as you're reading this book you just completely forget because you're trying to deal with the fact like hold on there's 
Batman's got a grown up daughter now, and uh, Damon's grown up, and who's the dog? Um, like, why is the dog in this? And um, well, everyone does. Ace is in Ace is in the Batman family, but it's like an an older Ace, or at least another Ace. You can tell it's not quite the same Ace because of everyone around them, and. I don't, and the, the drawing by Kelly Jones is amazing when it shows like that that massive panel with the son, uh, the, the son of the Joker, um, that was really like terrifying. And then when you just get to the final panel and realise what the whole story's been, it was really, it was, it was dead sad, but it gave another like another little part to Bruce Wayne. Um, really enjoyed that one. Five out of five. Five out of five on that. Jeff Johns is he's so good. I just don't know why he can't get this bully DC universe right. Um, the Precedent by James Tinian the Fourth and Alvaro Martinez Bueno. Um, why do people insist on putting that the third or the fourth at the end of the name? Like the the only reason that was begun was to like for kings and the lineage of kings and the monarchy and queens so you can distinguish the difference between when we talk about queen elizabeth well which one are you talking about the first one or the second one that's all it's for no one is going james tinian well which one the third or the fourth one fuck off james tinian just be or call yourself jt or something i don't know um but anyway this one was very well drawn. The panelling was especially nice in this. It really, like... It went all over the show as to... Because it's more about, really, a dick at the end of it. Um, <laughs> by the way, in case you've got no idea who I'm talking about, I am, of course, talking about Dick Grayson, not... It's about dick, like, knobs. Yeah, it's and because of, like, the acrobatic stylings of Dick Grayson, so does the panelling and the pages and the artwork goes all over the place, culminating in a fantastic final full-page spread. I really liked it. It really put a light side on what is normally hinted at being a dark side of uh, Batman, like the whole him getting kids to help him. Whereas it's more pointing out, actually, it's, it is all done in the right frame of mind and it's done for the right reasons and... If anything, he's being more responsible doing it because these people that in this universe would actually go off and do this anyway. But he's just giving them the right guidance. Um, this what what was this one called? Who is it? Batman's greatest case. Um, Tom King with uh, Tony S. Daniel and Joel Jones as the artist. I feel like Tom King saw like. Imagine, like, in the office, and you all have to write down the title on the board. Go, come up on the board and write down what you want the title of your... or what's the title of your short story. And I can picture everyone going up and writing all the ones that I've just said. And then Scott, uh, Scott Snyder walks up and puts Batman's longest case and just walks past uh, Tom King, just gives him a little wink to go, you know, remember, I, was, uh, I wrote Batman for quite some time. Probably one of the most uh, modern classic Batman runs, Tom. I know you're on it at the moment, but I don't think you'll be as good as me. Uh, and I'm going to write about Batman's longest case. So Tom King gets up and just writes Batman's greatest case and then gives a big smug fuck you smile to Scott. This was much more enjoyable than Scott's. I'm not going to lie. I had a lot of fun reading 
the dialogue in this, the the seeing the chemistry of the Bat family, um, and like everyone's in it, Alfred, Catwoman, it's everyone is in this, and there's even I I'll forgive Tom King. There is a full page spread where I can see uh, Bruce Wayne is in front of like the big Wayne Memorial, and there is tons of speech boxes, tons of them, and it's totally forgivable because. You need that to hear the hear the dialogue of everyone talking and Batman not saying, of course, not saying a single word, being the quiet bat he is, over than on the very final full double page spread, uh, which that will probably get made into a poster, I imagine. So Tom King's thought ahead of that, um, and then because of this, it puts a twist on the whole memorial scene as well. Really well done. I've I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's the only one I read twice. I think I read back to re went back and read it again because I really enjoyed it. Five out of five. Um, and we got some people who just donated artwork, like Mick Michael Janin, who was the worked on the the with Tom King, I think, on the War of Jokes and Riddles, has done a, a piece which is okay. I didn't really like his artwork much. And then Jason Fabok and Brad Anderson did a full double page spread, which. I thought it was dead interesting because it put Catwoman in the middle, but I kind of was confused by. But I do think she's like the bridge between the bad side of uh, of Gotham and good, the good side of Gotham. Um, and then a final piece by Amanda Connor and Paul Mounts, which was I, I liked it, but I just had to look at it twice because I thought it was Superman and Lois offering of Batman. Um, and then the final part. Um, of this was Medieval, um, which was by Peter J. T Tomasi and Doug Manka. Um, and is it meant to be the continuation of where Detective Comics is actually going? And this was quite interesting as well, and made me want to carry on reading Detective Comics. But I am I'm playing catch up, I'm not going to skip ahead. But I liked every page, which was just a full page spread. Of him fighting uh, one of his arch rivals, uh, his arch nemesis, um, either a classic story from that we know of from some part like the Batman the Animated Series, where he's uh, fighting Man Bat in the sky, or where he's topless fighting Ra's al Ghul, um, to just classic stuff like hinting from like the cheesy films, like where he's messing with Catwoman and Poison Ivy. Uh, and Bane, and then some more modern runs where he's fighting the Court of Owls, uh, Two Face, uh, and Clayface, and the uh, the Hush. To finish on the final part, um, which is like the dun dun dun, he's gonna have to fight this guy. I really like that as well. Five out of five. It, it did the job. It but, and but the one thing that the, this whole book didn't do the job of. And I think a few people may have been disappointed if this was like where they thought, I don't get Batman, but I'll pick this up because this seems important where I could probably jump on. No Joker stories. No Joker stories whatsoever. Um, and in fact, the Joker is only in like a couple of panels. Uh, was it only one thing? I didn't think, why, why did no one think to write a good Joker story? I mean, even Paul Dini, when he's doing his thing wrote about it from the side of uh, Harley Quinn talking about a, um, a botched a job that went botched rather than like could have done the Joker talking about it in jail to uh, someone or going off on one I don't know I, I just felt like that was a very much a missed 
opportunity and almost a bit of an insult to the character of the Joker. If you're going to celebrate a, a thousand issues of Detective Comics and a thousand, you know, a thousand Batman's, there should be a thousand Jokers as well, as far as I'm concerned, to a degree, or at least one. But yeah, Detective Comics, I would have give the whole thing. I'll give it a four out of five. It's it's it is great. I especially liked the one I got. I got the 1950s variants. I'm going to write a blog about all the variants because I felt like a lot of them were shite. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, but that was my personal opinion. But yeah, Michael Cho made a very lovely design for a book. I am going to cherish uh, four out of five Detective Comics number one thousand. Go and pick it up. Right. So that's it from me. Um, I just spoke briefly at the beginning about all the stuff that's coming up so I won't repeat myself again if you want to hear more or read more of anything we do over at Talk Nerdy to me go to talknerdy.uk don't forget this is the number one tribute in the world to Comic Crypt so do not forget to check out uh, Nerdcult Underground there are friends from across the pond they do an amazing amazing podcast and Leo Legacy website as well if you want to get up to the minute uh, up to the minute uh, always at the end always at the end of i just break down um up to the minute podcasts for them don't forget to go on chris's comics podcast dot uh, com as well to hear me often go on and improve his podcast somewhat with my dulcet tones um i don't know when gaz will be back because he's dealing with the fact he's got no computers uh, and he's going to vegas so uh, you'll hear from him at some point but i don't know when um but yeah the next time i speak to you i will have seen him um endgame and we all will and i imagine the whole world will be a completely different place uh keep listening to the undead comic cast in the future and why is this called the Unde- undead comic cast 